text is essentially a grocery list, complete with amounts and prices. It seems to have been a shopping list for a banquet. At the same time, though, native peoples in places with a large Chinese presence often found that adopting Chinese ways could be to their advantage. Also included in the exhibit is a rare portrait of Pan Dunzai, an indigenous chief from western Taiwan who poses in Chinese clothing. Mr. Li says he was richly rewarded and honored for helping the Qing dynasty put down local unrest with his men. Life in some areas was clearly changing, but the biggest changes of all were yet to come. Join us next week for another talk with Mr. Lee about Taiwan's past and the ways this exhibit displays it to the public. I'm Curious John, and I'll see you again next week. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. Brian Ong heads the APEC Engineering at Stripe. It's a payment processing unicorn. Brian is a former uh, National Taiwan University graduate student from the Electrical Engineering Department. Now, NTU is like the top university in Taiwan. Then he spent five years getting his master's and PhD in the U.S., but he was there for a total of 14 years. He had a chance to work for the AI team at Facebook, and now he's in Singapore working for the fast-growing fintech company Stripe. From the sound of all that, you know that Brian was an A student through and through. Out of all the places that he can be in the world and be successful at no matter what he does, we're going to find out today why Brian chose to settle in Singapore. So after the States, you moved to Singapore. How come you didn't think about coming back to Taiwan and why Singapore? Yeah, so at that time, so, so it was around at the year of 2018, I started to think about, okay, someday I want to be in Asia because I think Asia's um, all the development is relatively faster, in my opinion, like versus Europe or US, right? That's one. Second is that I want to be closer to home because my parents are still in Taiwan. So that is why I started to do this international search, sort of job search, uh, trying to see where I can land my next job after Facebook. So, and then this company approached me. Oh, by the way, at that time, I found most of the opportunities are actually in elsewhere um, other than Taiwan. So either in Singapore oh. or China or Japan. Like, oh. I mean, all the major, you know, uh, tech companies, mm. uh, especially Singapore is an environment. I think there are a lot of tax benefits provided by the government, Singapore government. Oh, so a lot of tech companies, US or Europe, they want to set up the entities uh, in Singapore as an APEC headquarter, sort of. And then talent-wise, it's also a bit more international. A lot of people want to you know, work in Singapore oh. or live in Singapore, uh, where compared to Singapore, Taiwan is not so much. So I didn't get much options when I was doing this search. Oh, and I see. Yeah, so in the end, I landed up in Singapore. Wait, how many years were you at Facebook? 
So eight years. Eight years. That's pretty long. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so um, you gain a lot from working at Facebook for eight years. Okay. I can understand why you chose to be in Singapore rather than in Taiwan because mm-hmm. of, you know, uh, you've got colleagues from all over the world in Singapore. Yeah, yes. Whereas yes. in Taiwan, probably you won't see much of that kind of sort of like a United Nation in the company kind of thing. So, yes. but. But Taiwan is known for its technology, though. Yeah, what do you think Taiwan needs to do to improve its work environment to attract more talents here? Yeah, I I think Taiwan was very successful in the semiconductor industry, like TSMC, you know, uh, these companies. They are super successful. Actually, in fact, TSMC was one of the top 10 companies in terms of valuation Mm -hmm. right now, right, Mm -hmm. in the world. Right. but in terms of the booming technology, in terms of, say, uh, computer engineering or fintech, I think Taiwan is not yet uh, having that. Um, That's a shame. Yeah, I think I know of a friend who's, I think he's he was also in some, I guess, in fintech, at least finance anyway. And he was, um, you know, he has a family, but he was like mostly working in before, before, not now, um, in China or in, in Hong Kong. I mean, he was a hardly home in Taiwan, you know, and now he's back yeah. in Taiwan, though. He needs to spend more time at home, you know, at home with his family. But now I understand why that is so, why he was traveling so much, even though he's in finance. But anyway, okay. So yeah. I guess Taiwan needs to do better to, you know, globalize itself in the fintech industry. What do you think Taiwan needs to do then to do that? Yeah, Recruit I, international talent? What do you think yeah, Taiwan I needs do to see do? Many, many possibilities. First, first oh. of all, I think Taiwanese talents are, it's really great. Like Taiwan, like job, you know, in terms of talent. Talents, uh, yeah. Super great. Uh-huh. Uh, but? but the environment, uh, it's not that great for those people. So you see a lot of uh, students or you know work uh, working professionals, if they got opportunity to go outside of Taiwan, they would probably do so, right? So it's mm. basically a flow out of Taiwan type of scenario. Although I know things are changing because the government is doing a lot of act, uh, things actions to try to improve these, and also yes. with the COVID situation, Taiwan is doing really well. So uh, right. I, I did see a lot of people like flowing back to Taiwan. Mm. But the world, the trend is still like the, the better job opportunities is outside of Taiwan. Oh. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I think I'm really nobody to, to, uh, to say anything? suggest. No. Yeah, say anything. But Why won't you just one give point, one point I, that Taiwan can do better? Yeah, I, I do see, for example, Singapore government, they have a, a oh. specific department called EDB, so Economic Development Board. So okay. they, they did a lot of things to attract um Foreign uh, oh, companies, I see. and uh, yeah, and also invest in the local ones, okay. and then trying to yeah. So, so I think that could be one potential thing to do research. I'm not saying that Singapore example can be like completely without modification applied to Taiwan, but mm-hmm. maybe that's something uh, worth research. Okay, uh, that what, makes what sense. Work, what, that makes sense, and and I think though, I think Taiwan is on its way. Yeah, I yeah. think it's it's I, working I on it. So. Yeah. Yes. All right. Yeah. You know, so your colleagues in Singapore, where are they from? Are there like there are there some from India, from mm-hmm. where what are your where are your colleagues from? Where are they from? Mostly. Yeah, uh I would say actually half of them. So Stripe, Stripe is a, a company with uh, I think over 3000 people now. Oh, wow. And then in in APAC, we have few hundred 
And I think maybe half, around half of them uh, ha- have international experiences. Uh-huh. Uh, some of them, many of them are actually people like me who work in Silicon Valley and then uh, maybe you know, long-term want to live in Asia or they want to experience Asia for a few years, so they come over here. And then we have people from India, we have people from Southeast Asia or Australia. So it's a very mix. It's like, mm. kind of, as you say, United Nations kind of setup. It's mm. very similar to when I was in Silicon Valley uh, at Facebook. It was yeah. very similar, that kind of mix. I see. Yeah. So here, I wouldn't feel it's a local company. It's basically an international company um, and very U.S. You know, focused or U.S. culture influenced. You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. So do you plan to eventually come home to Taiwan and start a company here? Uh, yeah, there's a, that's a one option that I'm actively looking into Okay. in the longer term. Yeah, yeah. In the short term, I, I'm probably not yet. Uh, right. Longer term, yes. Now you've been it's, in Singapore uh, for uh, a year and a half, not almost two years now? Right. Right, yeah, almost two years. Okay, now, yes. so so give it some time, and then eventually you are going to come back to Taiwan and start your own company here and help Taiwan's economy, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, that's that's uh, one, it is your plan. One thing I'm thinking, yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, what are the things that you miss about Taiwan? I mean, you've been away uh, from Taiwan so long. I mean, yes, you have yeah. been visiting Taiwan. Like, you know, you were telling me while you were in the States, you were you were coming back to Taiwan like maybe twice to three times a year. So you are in touch with Taiwan. It's not like you left Taiwan for 14 years and you don't don't know how much has changed. But um, what, what are some of the things that you do miss about Taiwan when you come back? I mean, what are the things that you, you definitely want to eat or, <laughs> or you definitely want to visit? <laughs> Or you definitely want to do, you know, when you when you come back to Taiwan. What are things you yeah. miss? Yeah, so, so there's one very interesting feeling I have uh, whenever whenever I went back to Taiwan is that you know uh, when I was in states I wanted to go back to Taiwan so bad because as as what we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't have much activities outside work or school. Right, and after you know uh, for the first few days I landed in Taiwan. I feel everything seems not very familiar, and then many things seems foreign to me for the first few days. Oh, and then after a while, I get back to it, and I, I started to remember. Oh, this is Taiwan. <laughs> so that's very interesting feeling, you know. So what yeah, can, like, what kind of things are you talking about? Can you be specific? Yeah, like for example, Taiwanese people are very polite, right? Versus uh-huh. say, you know, people in the United States usually are more direct more outgoing but Taiwanese people tend to be more shy uh-huh. but very polite initially uh-huh. the traffic you know mm. it's crazy still uh, <laughs> still <laughs> yeah yeah the, the uh, traffic hasn't changed <laughs> yeah hasn't okay. changed <laughs> okay. what what yeah, else what so else do you small things yeah? yeah like what uh, I and also say the payment you know uh, payment scheme people still use cash although it's changing right but if yes. you go to a lot of other places, they use credit card or mobile payments, wallets, mobile wallets. Even yeah. even in Singapore? Yes, in Singapore, yes. Uh, really? A lot of people use there There's a thing called Pay Now. Yes. Uh, it's a government-backed uh, payment oh. scheme. So they basically transfer money. Yes. That, and then people use QR code to, to do the payments. Right. At, uh, the hawker center. It's some, something similar to our nine markets in Taiwan. Yes. 
I know. Like in China, they make all the, you know, the hawkers and vendors, you know, use, like not use cash. Yeah, use cashless ways of transaction. I know it's it's slow in Taiwan, even for me. I mean, I'm I'm a culprit. I do have some ways of, you know, using my cashless transactions on my mobile, but I hesitate to use them (laughs) because I'm not used to it. So I don't want to carry cash with me too, but Mm -hmm. I couldn't help it. And and yeah. I know that's that's you know that's something I need to change because especially after COVID, you know, you don't know how yeah, much germs yeah. there is on the cash and the coins, <laughs> yeah. right? So right, right, right. I know. Um, I I don't know. Just have to just do it, right, to get used to it. Yes. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah so, so that's something things in Taiwan. It <laughs> seems like the the change is slower. Slower. The rest of the world. Yeah. I agree. I know. Why do you think that is? I think, first of all, Taiwan is already functioning. You know, it, the life in Taiwan is great, right? Mm. You know, uh, things are functioning well. So and very when convenient. People are in, yeah. Right. When people are in this, like, sort of already very convenient world, they yeah. they don't have that uh, strong motivation to change. Where in other developing world, maybe uh-huh. that's the only way they can do payments. For example, they cannot go to bank very easily, right? Mm. Or many people are still, we call it unbanked, which means they don't have bank account. They don't know how to get ATMs. Uh, There's no ATMs to get cash. Oh. Right? So they, they they need to rely on these mobile phones oh, to I do see. pretty much everything. I think that's right. part of the reason. Oh, very interesting. That I think you've got a point there. You've got a point there. Wow. Yeah. Okay, well, hey, you haven't touched on food. What Taiwanese food you miss? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know uh, Singapore's you know, got great I food too. I know, you know. Any Taiwanese food that you really miss? Uh, I, Not really. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's, like Tainan, you know. Uh, oh. The, 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 what is it called? Snacks. Yeah, yes. It's really impressive. Tainan anyway. is great for its local specialties. There's too many. Yes. Yeah. Yes. If you compare those to, say, Michelin, you know, three-star restaurants, mm. it wouldn't be too off either, I, I feel. Right? <laughs> in, terms of, <laughs> in terms of the specialty, um, yeah. special taste. Uh, right yeah. and of course all the night markets in taipei because i grew up in taipei so yeah. i went to those places a lot uh mm. 14 years ago right so still miss those what? and another thing is mm. if they didn't change much either i think they're pretty <laughs> much as the same as when i was was yes out there in that taiwan. is true yeah. name a particular dish that you really like uh, in taiwan I think I still like uh, ji pai. I don't know what's, uh, what's uh, that chicken, in English. Uh, deep fried chicken, chicken cutlets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ah, yeah. So okay. still like that. Although I know it's very unhealthy. Yes. Uh, but yeah. Mm-hmm. I know, yeah. I know. But yeah, you know, something about Taiwanese people. Taiwanese people really, really like deep fried food. Do you realize that? That yeah. is so. Yes. That is so <laughs> terrible. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, it's funny because there are all these stands that sell right these um, deep fried chicken nuggets, right? Some yeah. yansuji, yansuji. Mm-hmm. They're everywhere. All right. Well, thank you so much. It was so good to talk to you, Brian. It's great yeah, to you. my and, pleasure. And maybe the next time I interview you, I'll be interviewing you in person because you've already been back <laughs> yeah. in Taiwan and started a company here. All right. Yeah, thank All you. Right, thank you. Thank Looking you. forward to that day. Yeah. 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 Thank yeah. you so much. All right. Thank you very much, Brian. And good luck with everything in Singapore. Yeah. Good luck. Okay. See you too. All right. Thank you. Okay. Bye bye. <laughs>
classic shorts, poems, and stories from Chinese literature. Hello and welcome to Classic Shorts. I am Natalie So. Today we're going to look at a very famous collection of poems written by two famous Tang poets and close friends around the 740s AD in the Tang Dynasty. Wang Wei was a well-known poet and painter, and he began a collection of quatrains, which are two sets of couplets. He describes scenes near his estate. He then sent them to his friend Pei Di, who responded to each with another two couplets. Wang put them together in one of the most famous collections of poems called the Wang Chuan Collection or the Wang River Collection. Before we begin to read it, though, we actually have a copy of the letter that he wrote to his friend Pei Di, and through this we can sense what their friendship was like. Late during the sacrificial month, the weather was calm and clear, and I could easily have crossed the mountains. But I knew that you have to pursue the classics, and did not dare to disturb you. So I wandered the hillside, rested at the Kanar Temple, Mary, dined with the mountain priests, and after dinner came home. Going northwards, I crossed the Yuan Pao. Over whose waters the unclouded moon shone with dazzling rim. When the night advanced, I mounted Hua Tzu's hill, and saw the moonlight through and through jostling waves of Wang River. Winter Mountain distant lights twinkled and vanished. In some deep lane beyond the forest, a dog barked in the cold, with a cry as fierce as wolves. The sound of the peasants grinding corn at night. Fills in the gaps between the slow ringing of a distant bell. Now I sit alone. I listen, but do not hear my grooms and servants to move or speak. I think a lot of the old days, as from hand to hand, composing poems as we went. We walked down twisting paths to the banks of clean streams. We have to wait for spring. The grass grow and the trees bloom. Then wandering together in the spring hills, we shall see the trout leap lightly from the stream. The white gulls stretch their wings, the dew fall on the green moss, and in the morning we will hear the cry of the curly in a barley field. He will not keep itself waiting long. Should you be with me? I don't know the natural subtlety of your intelligence. I would not dare address to you so remote an invitation. You realize that deep sense dictates this course. Written without disrespect to Wang Wei, a resident of the mountains. So these two poets had quite a friendship, and they also displayed it in their unique collection of poetry, in which they had a dialogue with each other through poems. The first poem is called "Mung Town Gap." New house in a gap of Mung Town's wall. 
old trees remain, all dying willows. People to come, what will they have? Empty sorrow for those of the past. Wang was writing about a new residence and was reminded of the past when he saw a gap in the former town wall. He was expressing his nostalgia for people and places past. This was Pei Di's response to that poem. Hut built beneath an ancient town. Time stepped upon the ancient town. Wasn't the ancient town once farmland? Of course, new people come and go. This unique poetic conversation continues with this poem called Huazi Ridge. Birds flying endlessly away, mountain on mountain of autumn colors, ascending, descending Huazi Ridge. When will this melancholy end? So here, the fading of autumn that Wang Wei sees inspires some melancholy sentiments. Because for Buddhists, it's a reminder that we too shall fade. This is what Haiti wrote in response. Sunsets, wind rises in the pines. Returning home, Dews dried in the grass. With clouds alight, I tread on footprints. In green hills, brush off this one's clothes. Those are some of the poems in the very famous Wong River collection. We'll be reading more in the weeks to come from this very special poet duo, Wang Wei and Peidi. Thanks for tuning in to Classic Shorts. Listening to News Playlist. We've queued up some of the most interesting reports for you, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. Welcome to the News Playlist. I'm Paula Chow, the program host. The COVID-19 pandemic has brought international tourism to a grinding halt. It's near impossible to leave Taiwan for recreational purposes. But if the government's current plans go smoothly, then travelers from Taiwan could soon visit the Pacific Island nation of Palau. People in Taiwan may soon be able to dive into these lush green waters and swim with the jellyfish. This is not Taiwan. It's the Pacific Island nation of Palau, one of Taiwan's few remaining diplomatic allies. Long quarantines make international travel almost impossible during a global pandemic. But quick getaways with a shorter quarantine may soon be possible. How? Two words, travel bubble. Taiwanese and Palauan officials are discussing a plan that would allow people to fly between the two countries with few restrictions. They began discussing the possibility last year, but now they are hashing out the details. 
The agreement would allow both Palau and Taiwan to each operate eight flights a week between the two countries. For Taiwan, the national carrier China Airlines will be allotted six flights a week and EVA Airways two. Palau Pacific Airways will operate the remaining flights but may have to lease jets from Taiwan's Tiger Air. Only about 200 seats a day will be available in each direction. The news may come as a relief to travel agencies in Taiwan, but there are new hurdles to overcome. Before the pandemic, a four-day, three-night trip to Palau cost about 1,000 US dollars. But under the travel bubble, those costs could increase as much as 66%. That doesn't include travel insurance, which will cost extra if you want to play it safe. Add a mandatory quarantine to the beginning and end of the trip, and travelers will really have to think about whether it's worth their while. But for those willing to pay the price, white sands and blue seas await. Leslie Liao, RTI News. Thanks to Taiwan's great job at containing the COVID-19 pandemic, the country is about to hold the world's first fashion show with a live audience since the pandemic. The event is also going to be the first in Asia on the theme of sustainability. The first live fashion show in the world this year is right here in Taipei. This week is Taipei Fashion Week, and fashion aficionados in Taiwan are lucky because they can enjoy the live shows in person, catching all the new looks right up close. But of course, everyone in the audience will still be wearing masks. The event is organized by the Culture Ministry and showcases an autumn-winter collection along the theme of sustainability, the first sustainable fashion show in Asia. At last week's press conference, Taiwanese designers put on a mini fashion show to preview what's to come. They invited the winner of the 2020 Golden Horse Best Lead Actress Award, Chen Shufang, to model an outfit made from sustainable fabrics. The 81-year-old actress says she felt younger just taking part in such a meaningful event. Thomas' fashion industry is a 20 billion U.S. dollar business, but about 90% are imports. Taipei's Fashion Week features works from more than 40 local designers and runs from March 10th to the 15th at the Songshan Cultural and Creative Park. Shirley Lin, RTI News. After China recently introduced a ban on Taiwanese pineapples, farmers around the island are waiting nervously to see what the mainland's next move will be. Custard apple farmers are among those with serious concerns. Heaps of freshly picked custard apples lie on the back of a truck. The fruits are a cross between sugar apples and cherimoyas, and they're a major export commodity. But after China banned Taiwanese pineapples and halted a shipment of wax apples, Taiwan's custard apple farmers worry they could be next. One farmer says it's all about demand. He says he's very worried. Farmers are constantly trying to make sure they have the right supply. The problem is that most custard apples are exported, and 95% of exports go to China. If that demand collapses, it will mean big losses. On top of that, there's been a bumper crop of the fruit this year, meaning prices are low. The farmer says that in the past, custard apples could fetch up to around nearly three US dollars a kilo. Now it's half that. With fear of an impending ban, custard apple farmers are racing to sell their produce. For Taiwan's fruit sellers, these are worrisome times indeed. Stash Butler, RTI News. Typhoons in Taiwan may cause disruption but they also serve to replenish the island's water supplies. 
Now, after a year without them, one county in northern Taiwan is seeing the consequences. The muddy remains of an old brick building sit forlornly by the water's edge. It's a rare sight because these ruins are normally well below the water level. Typhoons normally replenish Taiwan's water supplies, but after a year with none in sight, reservoir levels in Xinzhou County are dangerously low. Baoshan Reservoir is only 21.9% full with 24 days of supply left. Meanwhile, Baoe Reservoir is only at 12.5%. Water Corporation Director Chiu Zongren is concerned. He says the two reservoirs only have about 5 million tonnes of water left. He plans to add a support channel from nearby Chonglin Township. That channel will be finished by the end of April. In the meantime, the county at the centre of Taiwan's tech industry continues to empty the water supplies. The Water Resources Agency is working on emergency desalination. It hopes it will soon be able to relieve the shortage. But until then, the ruins of this building will stay as a sign of the crisis. Stash Butler, RTI News. A recent lack of rain has led to a serious water shortage in the northwestern part of Taiwan. The economics ministry is finding ways to ease the shortage, especially for the crucial technology firms based in the region. 2020 was the driest year in 52 years here in Taiwan, and it's not just the agricultural sector hurting from the resulting drought. The economics ministry has been forced to send rolls of water trucks to supply the high-tech firms of Xinzhu Science Park because a lot of the machinery requires constant cooling using water. Economics Minister Wang Meihua says that water pressure has been reduced in the Xinzhu, Miaoli and Taizong areas to conserve water. The government is calling on people to save water so that the technology sector can continue to function and Taiwan's economy can stay on track. Shirley Lin, RTI News. And finally, we have a story about hunting rights. Taiwan's indigenous people have launched a campaign for their hunting rights, a tradition they said has long been misunderstood by society. In front of the Judicial Yuan in Taipei and in the eastern county of Taidong, indigenous people demonstrated for their hunting rights. Around a bonfire, they sang traditional music and chanted, free to enter the mountains. Their demand, hunting should be allowed as it is a cultural tradition. Puyuma tribesman Pan Diaoji said he hopes justices will listen to their voices as indigenous culture has long been suppressed, and that includes traditional activities like hunting. For indigenous people, hunting is not only a sacred act, but also seen as a blessing from deities and ancestors. Striking the balance between their traditional culture and gun control laws will be a delicate matter for the government. And that's all we have for this week's edition of News Playlist. For Radio Taiwan International, I'm Paula Chow. Bye-bye. RTI is conducting a survey. Visit our website to fill out the questionnaire or simply send us your answers to the following four questions. Question number one. What platform do you use to listen to RTI programs? You can write more than one, but list the most frequent one first. 
Question number two. Which RTI programs are your favorites? Write no more than three programs. Question number three. Out of a total of five stars, how many stars would you give RTI's English broadcasts overall? And question number four. What are your suggestions for RTI's English programs? Everybody who enters will have a chance to win a prize. Send your answers to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan, 11199. Or send it via email. Our email address is audience01 at rti.org.tw. That's audience and the numbers 0 and 1 at rti.org.tw. Be sure to leave your name, gender, age, and nationality. The Expats International Ingrounds um, is just that. It's a smart reality docu-series uh, about life being black and abroad. It follows myself and my children along with some other people of the African diaspora that are here in Taiwan. And it's really about our journey and what life is like through the lens of being an expat. Hello and welcome to Underline. I'm Carlson Wong. The Expects, the international Ingrams, the first black international smart reality show attracted 2.3 million views in just a month's time after it was released. And to find out more, we are joined today by Ms. Juanita Ingram, the founder and CEO of Purpose Production Incorporation. Juanita, first of all, tell us about the expats. Uh, expats is spelled in capital E-X-P-A-T-S. The International Ingrams, the first black international smart reality show. Yes, absolutely. So the Expats International Ingrams um, is just that. It's a smart reality docu-series uh, about Life being black and abroad, it follows myself and my children, along with some other um, people of the African diaspora that are here in Taiwan. And it's really about um, our journey and what life is like through the lens of being an expat and being um, of African descent in, in Asia. And it's a very positive family-focused show. Uh, we had a short run on Amazon Prime. Uh, we paused distribution right now because it was always intended to be a franchise. We caught the attention um, of some really important people in the entertainment sphere. We reached 2.3 million views in less than a month. And so it went viral. And right now we're in negotiation on distributing on an even larger platform. So there are 20 episodes in this series, uh, but it will be a franchise. So we are looking into season two and into other locations. So there'll be, you know, the expats Canada and the expats Switzerland. So it has grown uh, quite quickly in popularity. And so we're really excited about this new genre that we're introducing the world to. Expats One is based in Taiwan? Yes, it is. It's based in Taiwan. And less than just one month, you said it has attracted 2.3 million views. Wow, that's uh, amazing. These 20 episode series and uh, the idea comes from you. Could you tell us how you got the inspiration to shoot the expats? Yes, absolutely. So this is... um, the second time that we've lived abroad, my family and I, we were living in London, 
and I'm originally from the U.S. We are living in London as expats, and the idea of the show came to me then when we were living there. We were having uh, these events called Soul Food Sundays, where it was uh, a community of African-American people who were from the U.S., and we would get together, have dinner, talk about life, and the kids would get together and play. And one day we were doing this, and I looked up, and in the backdrop, there was Windsor Castle. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm not sure that there's ever been a show that really showcased what it was really like to be an expat, what it was like to live abroad and live in a different country and the journey of how you get there and showing the different backgrounds. And so I was really inspired to do something positive. Um, our nonprofit production company is a nonprofit charity, and we have a focus on empowering women and also bringing to light narratives that challenge stereotypes and that also put forth positive images of marginalized people. So I wanted to create a show uh, that was based on reality. Sometimes in reality TV, it's not always that real. You know, sometimes Mm -hmm. the storylines are contrived and um, pre-thought of and, you know, they're made up even though it's supposed to be reality. And I really wanted to show a real depiction of what it's like to try to settle into a new place, to learn a new language, to really immerse yourself in a new culture, what it's like for children to make new friends, to make the transition. So there's a universal theme of change and adaptation and transition that I think people can and have found some relatability to um, because it doesn't matter whether you're moving to a new country or whether you're just doing something different. When you encounter change and you have to transition, there's a uniform, universal, common experience that we all go through, and I really wanted to highlight that. But it takes a lot of uh, planning and maybe even budget to do the shooting. And, um, you know, how long did it take you to plan the whole um, 20 episodes? Absolutely. You know, we started this journey two years ago, and it is a self-funded project. So we are, again, a 501c3. I saved, um, because I am an attorney by trade, and so when I knew uh, the last year before we moved to Taiwan, we kind of knew that we were going back out for this assignment, and I started saving my salary um, in order to self-fund this project and put up the money in our 501c3 myself to fund this project, and it took us uh, almost two years to the date to bring the 20 episodes to everyone. We filmed our entire first year um, in transition, everything from my kids starting new schools to, you know, us moving and packing and unpacking and finding friends and really managing life through uh, the onset of COVID-19 here in Taiwan and how beautifully the country did and managed and the government did in managing through um, COVID-19 and, and really showing that. And so we had a very uh, high dramatic year for us <laughs> to, to chronicle, you know, what a year we had, the yeah. year we picked uh, to do this, because when we first started, we were thinking, oh, gosh, you know, I wonder what the high stakes will be when you think about storytelling. And and, and even though it's a, a unscripted show, you're still telling a narrative, you're still telling a story. And we weren't sure what the year was going to hold and what a year we've had, you know. So um, it was it is a self-funded project. I put up my own money and my own funds because I felt like it was so important to not only 
show diversity, but also show the beauty of Taiwan. I've always championed Taiwan as a country. I think it is such an undiscovered gem. I don't know if people really know how beautiful Taiwan is, what a wonderful country it is. Um, obviously, with the uh, popularity that it has gained and in, in notoriety of, of having successfully navigated through COVID-19 in the manner in which we did here. I just don't know if people really understand how friendly people are here, how welcoming it is. And I think the beauty of COVID-19 is that it re- required us to really explore Taiwan. You know, we haven't left the country in over a year like everyone else mm-hmm. has. We've been sort of here and it, it really helped us to explore the island and then to take people on that journey with us of going to different places here and being appreciative of having the freedoms and the liberties that we have here and safety. So I wanted to really highlight that. And the food is great. You know, I wanted to show <laughs> a good hot pot meal to people and really, um, really show them the beauty and showcase of, of Taiwan. And I think, you know, even though we were in the middle of a pandemic, we were fortunate that we didn't have those same restrictions as our U.S. counterparts or even in the U.K. And we were able to continue to film and to continue to be able to afford to do that safely. This is Radio Taiwan International. How do you see the difference in culture now living in Asia from the U.S. and then to the U.K. and now in Asia? Mm. You know, I do have the benefit of having a lens on three different continents and having sort of lived uh, in three different continents. There are distinct differences uh, that are unique, obviously, to Asia. And I think, you know, being here through COVID-19 really sort of highlighted that in the sense that I think Asia and Taiwan in particular, um, because I, I haven't lived in all of Asia, I can only speak to living here in Taiwan, very community oriented, very um, supportive uh, in terms of rallying together and doing what's best for everyone. I think there's obviously differences in, in culture as it relates to food. Um, there's some really good food here. I love the U.K. Uh, there's better food here in Taiwan. I will say that. <laughs> I will say that. Um, but in terms of people, you know, I, I, I do find that while sometimes being of African descent and being here can make you feel quite different in the sense that if you're in the U.S. or in the U.K., there are more people that look like you on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. However, I do find that being here, there are people that are curious about other cultures and very open to learning about one another and supporting other ideas and other cultures. You know, there are so many, we, we highlighted in the show, we were at the Latin uh, Festival, and we were, one of our co-stars on the show uh, is a singer, in the, or was a singer in the band called The Roots. They were performing at this Latin Festival, and it was all about celebrating different cultures. And I find that there are so many activities here that help people to really experience other cultures. There's an openness here. Um, it's obviously Taiwan is like a democracy in the sense that the U.S. is a democracy as well. But I think that there are um, a lot of, of open individuals that are very welcoming of other people and of other um, ethnicities and people from various areas. And so I think that there are a lot of commonalities because people are people. And I think that's the beauty of the show is that it shows that really we all deal with change in similar ways. We all look for, 
you know, finding people that look like us, that believe the same as us, that make us feel comfortable. And then we all try to get to know other people in other cultures. So I think for me, it's been a great experience. My kids have enjoyed uh, being here and learning different languages. I will say Mandarin is probably the hardest language I've ever tried to learn. Um, and there are a couple of episodes where you'll see, you know, uh, uh, my kids make fun of me all the time and they tell me my Mandarin is horrible. <laughs> and because I'm from the South in America, that I tend to speak Mandarin with a Southern accent. They don't know how I'm, how I've achieved that, um, but I managed to do, I managed to do it. And so, you know, it's, it's been a great um, experience. We do have, because we are paused on distribution right now, we do have another show that's coming out in actually just three days on Amazon Prime called Trailing Spouses, um, which is a continuation of conversations that were, were born out of the show. So a trailing spouse is someone who follows their spouse to another country or another location, and many expat wives and some husbands are trailing spouses. And so, you know, you follow your spouse here for their job, but what about your experience finding new purpose, finding your way and navigating through all of that? So we did a eight-part series talk show exploring all of these different topics for trailing spouses, raising third culture kids, even our favorite places in Taiwan to visit, our favorite places to eat. Um, it, it filmed it right here in Taiwan uh, with my good friend Z, who is a co-host on that web series as well. And it was the outpouring of support and popularity of the show. People had more questions. You know, they wanted more information and more advice on how to navigate in being a trailing spouse and being um, an expat. And that's out on YouTube right now, IGTV, and it will be coming to Amazon Prime in the next three days. And so we're excited about that as well. Mm -hmm. It's an eight-part show, Trailing Spouses. And, uh, yes, of course, it's um, it talks about you and it talks about our friend Z and so on. <laughs> yes, yes. And we're talking about everything from raising third culture kids to being a trailing spouse and an expat and finding purpose, setting goals. We have a fashion segment where we talk about being fabulous moms and, you know, great fashion that you can wear uh, anywhere in, in traveling, how to pack in a suitcase. We're not really traveling right now, but we're traveling domestically. Mm -hmm. And we even have an episode on how to effectively pack, um, how to maintain self-care as an expat and as a trailing spouse and not losing your identity as a mom. And so all of these topics that came from the show we explore them in more depth, and it's called Trailing Spouses. My co-host is Z, and we have a great time talking about so many issues. And I think there's a huge audience that's really enjoying the conversation. So it's uh, very impactful. Yes, um, I hope that, you know, Trailing Spouses and along with the expects will attract millions and millions of viewers so people yes. understand um, the difference in culture and uh, what a trailing spouse does in a foreign country. And yes. we have been joined on the phone today by Ms. Juanita Ingram, the founder and CEO of Purpose Production Incorporation, as well as the founder and board chairwoman, Dress for Success Greater London, and dress for success Chattanooga and that wraps up this week's On The Line brought to you by Radio Taiwan International I'm Carlson Wong thank you for listening I'll see you next week and goodbye
Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw. Our 60-minute English program can be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6185 kHz. In South Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199 Taipei, Taiwan. You can also email us at rti at rti.org.tw.